The New Science of Physical Health. I find it incredible that when I was born in 1966, that things like mobile phones, smartphones, personal computers, laptops, tablets, public internet connections, color TV, digital music, and the streaming of movies and TV series would be decades away. One of the most remarkable changes in my lifetime was when I was just three years old. Neil Armstrong became the first human to land on the moon. Two, one, zero, all engines running. Man finally has visited the moon after all the ages of wishing and waiting. Two Americans with the alliterative names of uh, Armstrong and Aldrin uh, spent just under a full Earth day on the moon. They picked at it and sampled it and they deployed experiments on it and they picked away uh, some of it to pack with them and bring on home. Above and alone, a satellite of a satellite uh, that orbited the third member of the Apollo 11 team, Michael Collins. His bittersweet mission it was to guide and uh, watch over the command and the service module whose uh, power and guidance system provided the only means of getting home and still does. Now at this point in the journey with the lunar lander reunited with the mothership and the astronauts preparing for the rocket burn which will send them back home here, certain times and images remain that I've noted here. 4.17.40 p.m., 17 minutes and 40 seconds after 4 Eastern Time, yesterday, Sunday, July 20th, 1969, the moment the lunar module touched down on the moon's surface and men will forever remember. 10.56 p.m. Sunday, the moment that Armstrong's foot first touched the lunar crust. And 1.54 p.m. today, the instant of liftoff from that newly named Tranquility Base Camp. There were the ghostly television pictures we all saw of Armstrong and Aldrin on the moon. Armstrong's first words, a small step for man, a giant leap for mankind. From the new science of physical health, I'm Shane Stubbs, and the question is this, who will win the wellness wars? That day in history when Neil Armstrong captured the whole world's attention began seven years before the famous speech by Armstrong that you just heard and the follow-up commentary by the famous American newscaster, Walter Cronkite. This is where President John F. Kennedy delivered the famous 
Why Go to the Moon speech at Rice University in Houston, Texas, seven years before, on September the 12th, 1962. In this speech, President Kennedy outlined his vision and commitment to the United States space program, which was literally just taking off, specifically aiming at sending a man to the moon before the end of the 1960s. But I do say that space can be explored and mastered without feeding the fires of war, without repeating the mistakes that man has made in extending his writ around this globe of ours. There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. Many years ago, the great British explorer George Mallory, who was to die on Mount Everest, was asked why did he want to climb it. He said because it is there. Well, space is there and we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. Thank you. Those closing lines that you just heard from President John F. Kennedy express his determination and commitment to the ambitious goal of reaching the moon, emphasizing the significance of taking on difficult challenges and pushing the boundaries of human achievement. And we all know how it turned out seven years later, and sadly, he had passed away before that event happened. In those closing lines of John F. Kennedy's powerful speech, Why Go to the Moon at Rice University in Houston, Texas, his words echo this unwavering determination and bold vision for the future, where he poses that question, why the moon, and then skillfully likens it to climbing the highest mountain or flying across the Atlantic for the first time, enduring challenges that define the human spirit and ambitions. Kennedy's choice to go to the moon wasn't driven by the ease of the task, or but by its difficulty, a challenge that would push us to harness our finest energies and skills, as he labelled it at the time. It was a mission he was unwilling to delay, committed to winning, and he intended to achieve it, not only that goal, but other grand aspirations as well. 
History remembers great leaders like John F. Kennedy, who inspire us to make their vision our own vision and help strive for greatness. He showed us that tackling difficult challenges and pushing back those boundaries of human achievement bring purpose and value to our lives. These remarkable individuals throughout history, they make us better and their legacy endures in the hearts and minds of generations to come. But here we go. Do all presidents create a vision for us so that our lives will be better? When it comes to the wellness wars, there are two very different approaches between President Biden and President Trump. Their words in their own voices will tell us who will win this battle between the presidents. I'd like to introduce you to what I would call my interviews with President Trump and President Biden. Now, you'll pick up very quickly what I mean by introducing you to my interviews with President Trump and President Biden. But if it did happen, here is how it would go. Good morning, Mr. President. Thank you for seeing, being able to spend some time with me discussing who would win the Wilmoth Wars between you and President Biden. It is a fascinating topic to consider, given your influence in the four years that you were president and the demands of the job. Yes, it's a very tough job, but luckily I'm a very healthy person for my age. You need stamina, plus you need a sharp mind to be president. You do know I'm always active because of my success in business. I play golf all the time. Of course, everyone knows I took the dementia test and passed it with flying colors. That test was given to me by Dr. Ronnie Jackson. He was my doctor when I was president. He says I'm so healthy for someone my age. I am sure that Sleepy Joe would never be able to win this wellness war against me. Thank you, President Trump, for sharing some of your physical activity schedule and that Montreal cognitive assessment test and the results that you took and the results that you got. I would note on the test that you were given by Dr. Ronnie Jackson, who is now a senator, that a score of 26 is considered to be normal, while 18 to 25 is considered to be, have mild cognitive impairment, 10 to 17 is considered moderate cognitive impairment, and a score less than 10 is considered severe in cognitive impairment. So am I correct that you scored above 26 on that test? Yes, that's right. I got 30 out of 30. So I am 100% not cognitively impaired. You absolutely need that if you're going to win a wellness war against Sleepy Joe. You do know he hasn't taken the test. I am not sure if he could score past 10 points. Many people are saying that. Not just me. That's a big problem for Sleepy Joe. He just can't handle it anymore. On another topic, I have a quote from an article with the head. This is an article that was published a few years ago with the heading. It says this, Trump thinks that exercising too much uses up the body's finite energy. Now, the body of this article, Mr. President, has this as a main quote from you. This is the quote. The commander in chief said he gave up sports after college because he believed that the human body was like a battery with a finite amount of energy, which exercise only depleted. Now, Mr. President, 
one of the questions I like to get from answered from you, is this an accurate quote? The answer to that is a big yes. I have spoken with lots and lots of experts. They all agree with me. You know, I once found out that John O'Donnell, he's one of my top casino executives, was training for this thing called an Ironman triathlon. I told him, you keep that up and you're going to die young. It is just too hard on the body. Well, thank you for filling us in on the accuracy of that quote, Mr. President. And thank you for initially sharing your thinking when it comes to the Wilness Wars. So that was the first part of my interview, inverted commas, with President Donald Trump. So what do you think so far? Is what he just told us going to help win the wellness wars for him against President Biden? Is there enough evidence for President Trump to be correct? Does physical activity use up what he calls your finite life battery? We'll see about that in just a moment. Before we dive into how we will decide which president wins the wellness war, it's only fair that we spend some time with none other than President Biden himself. I wonder, where does he stand in comparison to President Trump on the fascinating subject of the wellness wars? Does President Biden share opposing views or does he share the same perspective as President Trump? Moreover, as the first ever US president now in his 80s, how will his unique viewpoints shape his leadership journey? Stay tuned, let's go now and spend some time with the other president, current president of the United States of America, Joe Biden. Good morning, Mr. President. Thank you so much for being able to spend some time with me discussing who would win the wellness war between you and President Trump. I've got to say, it's a fascinating topic to consider given your influence, the demands of the job, and without being critical, you being the first octogenarian U.S. president. Well, it is great to be here with you, Shane. I am really interested in how this wellness war with President Trump is going to turn out. It is my hope that the things I have been doing for many years now will help me to victory. I may be 80 years old, but I still have a lot to contribute as I serve in this job as president. The one thing I do know is that if my physical health is not up to standard as I age, then I'm going to struggle with the demands of the job. Thank you, Mr. President, for sharing your thoughts on the wellness wars. I am so pleased that even though you're 80 years old, I don't want to make a big point of it, but it is important. I'm so pleased that you still want to win this battle with President Trump. Thanks, Shane. It is an absolute pleasure. At the outset, I would just like to mention one critical point about the wellness wars. Myself and the First Lady have reignited something I started as Vice President in 2016. Today, the White House is working on what I call the Cancer Moonshot, where we mobilize a national effort to end cancer as we know it. Thank you, Mr. President, for sharing this. Just like one of your predecessors, President Kennedy, it's inspiring to see leaders who shoot for the moon, in this case, when it's applied to the wellness wars. Uh, we're building a world where the word cancer loses its power. A diagnosis isn't a death sentence. We prevent cancer before it starts. We catch cancer early so people live longer and healthier lives. 
and patients and families don't have to navigate their cancer journey alone. That is a bold vision, Mr. President, just like President Kennedy, who 61 years ago put a vision for mankind to touch down on another planet with the moon landing. Does your cancer moonshot plan have a specific date on it? Yes, Shane, it absolutely does. Working with our leading universities here in the United States, we are pouring federal funds in brand new cancer research. There are literally teams of PhDs with a background in oncology who are driving forward this vision. I think you spent time interviewing one of these doctors from Penn State University, Dr. Katherine Schmitz. The Cancer Moonshot is mobilizing efforts toward achieving two clear goals, to prevent more than 4 million cancer deaths by 2047 and to improve the experience of people who are touched by cancer. Wow, there are so many families touched by cancer that currently have no hope. My mother passed away in 2015 from stomach cancer just seven days after we found out about her diagnosis. I feel deeply the pain from suffering loss due to cancer, as I know your family does, where you suffered in the same year as my mother when you lost your son to a brain cancer. In this wellness war battle, as you run for president in 2024, can you share with everyone what your approach is to your personal wellness war? It'd be great to be able to compare you to what President Trump talked about just recently when I sat down with him, where he stated about how often he plays golf. Sure, Shane. I'll be very happy to tell everyone my personal routine. It was reported in the Washington Post back in 2021 that I take part in planned exercise at least five days per week. My routine is to jump on the treadmill and use a Peloton program for at least 30 minutes of sustained cardiovascular exercise. Then at least three days a week, I add in some lightweight training. In my position, I'm lucky enough to have access to a personal trainer who helps guide me. According to my White House doctors, I am doing well. I am six feet tall and weigh 80 kilograms or 176 pounds. Thank you, Mr. President, for confirming what your personal routine is with what I would call anyone's personal wellness wars, the battle for all of us to be classified as medically healthy, and sharing those details about how you would go forward into your next major political battle in 2024. Now that we possess the perspectives of each president, we've got sufficient information to begin to determine the victor in this wellness war. Nevertheless, I'm gonna caution you in advance that this segment of the show demands your utmost attention. I'm about to translate complex medical research into a straightforward series of learning frameworks. Once you familiarize yourself with these frameworks, we'll be able to present indisputable evidence regarding the winner, either President Trump or President Biden. Armed with this evidence, we will precisely elucidate why the chosen president emerges as the triumphant participant in the inaugural wellness war. So now it's time to delve into the details, the nitty gritty and the content and unveil for the very first time, a collection of brand new learning frameworks that I've developed over my career, 
This career spans 37 years, during which I've been actively involved in teaching health and physical education in schools here in Australia. And additionally, at the same time, over the past decade, I've been collaborating with over 100 world-renowned expert PhDs from various disciplines, including cardiology, vascular medicine, exercise physiology, public health, molecular biology, and many more. As we draw the curtain on this intriguing interview episode of The Wellness Wars, pitting President Trump against President Biden, we eagerly anticipate the unfolding of the next chapter in this epic clash of the two leaders. Across the globe, and particularly within the USA, it appears that people are firmly entrenched in either Team Trump or Team Biden, leaving little room for middle ground amidst the intensifying political battles in America. While it is crucial to focus on who will be the next leader of the so-called free world, the paramount question driving this series of the wellness wars remains. Which president will emerge victorious in the battle for health and why? With one man in his late 70s and the other in his early 80s, never before in the history of health have two individuals been more critical to the future of a country that wields significant economic power and shapes the advancement of global technology. In the upcoming episodes of The Wellness Wars, a health showdown among the famous, we will unveil the precise criteria used to assess and determine the winner of this momentous struggle. Not only will I delve into the cutting edge evidence-based learning frameworks that underpin the selection process, I'll also explore a pivotal medical biometric that is likely unfamiliar to most people. This biometric holds the key to understanding the future health risks faced by both President Trump and President Biden, encompassing complications related to sickness, disease, and premature death. Join us for episode three of The Wellness Wars as I embark on this gripping journey of discovery where I prepare to uncover groundbreaking insights and invaluable revelations that will shape our understanding of the health battle between these two leaders.